0: Pastor Tom, it's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Uh, if you are here with us or if you are on Zoom, we encourage you to communicate with us. Uh, if you're here, you can fill out this piece of cardstock in your bulletin and drop it in the bucket on your way out. If you are on Zoom, you can email us through our website and uh, send us your prayer requests. We encourage you to let us know what's going on so we can be in prayer for whatever uh needs you may have at this time. Uh, If you are zooming in, uh, we have a, uh, well, what we sent you this morning was the sermon outline with the blanks, if you want to print that out and follow along. uh, And then we also sent out the words for Away in a Manger for our little ones who will be up here on Christmas Eve to uh, sing that song in front of everyone. Yes, Piper, that's you. Um, And uh, so encourage you, if you uh, can just go over that song with your kids, if you have them, and so they'll be ready, and we'll be practicing that here today in Hope for Kids. We also have a Hope for Kids lesson, which um, apparently was too large of a file to attach to the email that I sent out this morning. So um, if you need a copy, contact Rusty. He'll be happy to send you one. All right. Um, but let's see what else is going on around here. We have our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study at seven o'clock. We are looking at the stories of Christmas in the Gospels right now, and that'll be this Tuesday and then the following Tuesday, and then we will take a break until the new year. But that's Tuesday night at seven. Encourage you to zoom in for that. And we are going caroling this Friday night at, uh, we'll meet here at six, I think it is. Confirm, confirm. Yes. Meet here at six, and then we will walk over to uh, the parking lot at the community center, over by in the Sienna neighborhood, and we will all theoretically get in the back of Jimmy's flatbed trailer on some hay bales, and we're gonna—he's gonna drag us to the back of the neighborhood, and we're gonna kind of take the take Hope on tour in the back of the Sienna neighborhood. I think is how we're gonna do it. Um, so there'll be some some riding along, some singing, some hot chocolate and wassail or uh, apple cider or something like that, but we're going to just try to do some old-fashioned Christmas caroling at the neighborhood behind us, and we'll have some flyers to hand out to folks to invite them to Hope, but I uh, encourage you to come Friday night, meet here at 6, and then we will make our way over uh, for the caroling after that. We have on A week from today on the 19th in the evening, right here at 6, our women are getting together for an ornament exchange. Um, We also have, so if you're coming to that, you need to bring a wrapped ornament that's, you know, $10-ish value. And you are encouraged to bring a friend. There will be a a little craft. Y'all will all make a Christmas ornament, I believe it is. Yes? Okay. And uh, so good, good opportunity to bring a friend and have some fellowship. Then today at 4 o'clock, our youth group is meeting here. They're going to deliver the blueprint gifts to the bl- to the families downtown, and then they're going to go play laser tag and have a gift exchange of their own. Uh, if you're coming to that, bring some kind of sock uh, with stuff in it. And I'll just, you know, use your imagination. All right. Um, then we have our Christmas Eve service on Friday night, December twenty fourth. Uh, we need you to bring cookies because that's the best part. Let's be honest. Um, but that's the cookie reception will be at five thirty, and then we will start the worship service around six, and that will conclude with uh, can't we'll have our kids singing away in a manger, and then we will conclude with Silent Night and candles and the whole nine yards. Should be nice. Encourage you to come for that if you can. Um, also, coming up this Saturday, uh, I think this is all kind of coming together uh, as of very recently, but I think I will be giving an invocation at an event called Wreaths Across America. It'll be held at Fort Sam Cemetery. I will send out, I'm going to confirm, uh, one of our church members is the keynote speaker, Craig Russell from the SS American, American Memorial, um, but. Uh I'll send out a link that you want, if you want to sign up to be a part of that, but it's Saturday at 11 a.m. at the Fort Sam National Cemetery. They're going to lay 20 some odd thousand Christmas wreaths on tombs of soldiers. It's a beautiful day. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful event and it's a beautiful thing to see and a great way to remember and appreciate those who have uh, gone before us and paid the ultimate price for our freedom. So I will send out a link, uh, Probably tomorrow, with that information in it, you can actually sign up if you want to. You can sign up to volunteer. It's really easy. You just click a couple buttons, give them your contact information, and then you can be one of the on one of the teams that goes out and actually lays the wreaths on the on the tombs. Um, so again, I'll send out more information, but that's coming up Saturday. Uh, I think. Let's see. At this time, why don't we have all of the important people? Come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited down for our children's chat at this time. All right. <coughs> How are you all doing today? Good. You look good. You feel good? Yeah? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. I got a question for you. Let's see. How many of you have ever have ever like? Do you ever play make believe? No. Never. Never. never, never. Okay. So, have you ever played make believe? Have you ever made believe that you were a prince or a princess? No. You want to be the queen. You're the princess. Have you ever have you ever make believe that you were the queen? What were you the queen of, Zoe? The whole world, everything? Okay. That's I mean, why why stop short of that? Right? I mean You're God's child, so you might as well just take it all over. We'd actually probably a lot be a lot better off. But anyway, I digress. So there was a woman in the Bible named Sarah. But before she got the name Sarah, her name was Sarai, which is kind of a funny name, right? And Sarai meant, it had the meaning of sort of like princess. So one who might rule someday. And then God says this to, to her husband. He says, I will surely return, I'm sorry, wrong verse, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And so God made a promise. Who was Sarah's husband? Anybody know? starts with an a father abraham very good i wish I, do i have i don't have any gold stars i need to get i need to put my gold stars back in my bible cuz that was gold star worthy all right and you could actually pick your color if i had them doesn't have to be gold but anyway abraham i don't think i have purple i'll have to look for that so abraham was talking to God, and God said to Abraham, your wife is no longer going to be called princess, but she's going to be called queen, right? Gave her kind of an upgrade. And that promise that God made to Abraham about his wife, do you know who, who Sarah gave birth to, her, her, who her, one of her sons was, or her only son? His name was Isaac. And then Isaac gave birth to someone named Jacob, and you know what God changed Jacob's name to? Israel. Right? And Israel is, the, it's it's the same letters that are in Sarah. I'd have to explain that. It's really complicated. But Israel means we rule with God. We are kings and queens with God. So you're not just a prince or a princess in Christ. So l- let me finish that l- line of thought. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was named Judah. Judah was the father of the line of the family that would give birth to Jesus one day. right? So Sarah becomes the mother or the grandmother or the great-great-great-great-lots-of-great's grandmother of Jesus because of God's promise to her. And so we... Like Sarah, we're not just princes and princesses. We, in Christ, we rule together with God forever. We are not just part of his family. We're important enough that he calls us kings and queens in his family. That's pretty cool, right? God loves you. You're important to him, and he gives us his authority on this earth to be good, to love. All right? All right, let me say a prayer for you guys before you go to Hope for Kids. Dear God, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your many graces. Pick a color. Yellow, we'll call that gold. All right. Turn your hand over. There you go. All right, you get a gold star for knowing Abraham. And Lord, thank you for your promise that you gave to Abraham and Sarah that you change who we are by the fact that you made your promise to us, and that you include us in your family forever. And Lord, in the same way that Sarah and Abraham look forward to the birth of Christ, we look back to the birth of Christ, and we claim that what he did for us is the basis for our hope, for the life and joy that you give us as Christians. And I pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids today fill them with your Holy Spirit, lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids, and good job, Esther. Will, how old is she? 8 okay i'm very sure that i could not have come up with sarah as or i mean abraham as sarah's husband when i was 8 so whatever you're doing keep doing it do it again at least two more times yeah good job um all right well let's do this let's open with a word of prayer and we're just going to ask god to prepare our hearts for reading his word together this morning and then we're going to move through the, so- the story of Sarah and try to understand what it is that God wants to say uh, to us in, in his word uh, through this story. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come before you as we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts. We ask that you would speak to us this morning by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that your word would come to life. Both before us and within us, and that we would not just be those who listen to your word, but we would be those who live it out in our everyday lives. Father, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and failures and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We pause now and lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses and we just pray your healing mercies over your people. We think of our brother Dean Morris, uh, one of our founding members, and we just pray your healing mercies over his body. We just pray that you would give his son Ryan and his mom Rita strength as they walk through this time with him. And just lift his spirits and heal him. And Lord, we lift up Yolanda Clifton as she continues to struggle with uh, post-op pain, and we just pray. Uh, we lift up Lori Branson for that same request, and we just pray your healing mercies for both of them, and we just pray you would reduce their pain and restore them to full health and function soon. We also lift up Joshua Johnson and just his continued recovery from that automobile accident in July. And we just thank you for your miraculous progress over him and in him, and just pray your continued care and healing over him. And Lord, we lift up this country, uh, all of our leaders in government elected and appointed. And we pray your wisdom and discernment over them and the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform, who serve to protect and defend this Constitution under which we live and enjoy the freedoms we have as Americans. We pray that you would bless them, that you would protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would return them home safely. And Lord, we lift up those who have come back from their service to our country, wounded and changed as a result of their service, and we just pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul, that you would use us to minister your grace to their hearts and their families. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We thank you for this past week with, our, with Pastor Miguel from our sister church in Cuba. We just pray that you would get him home with all his stuff uh, on Thursday, and we just pray that uh, your, your hand would be upon that voyage and that his return to his family uh, would be sweet and wonderful and lord that you would continue to use him and the ministry that you have established in that town uh, to grow your kingdom in that context and we lift up the other missionaries that we support around the world and the churches we are connected to through our denomination including uh, the church plants that are going on in Texas right now uh, in Katy and New Braunfels and in Austin and we just pray uh, that you would be at work in those places as well as here uh, to send forth your word into this world, and to know that it would not return to you empty. Lord, use us to that end, and be with us now as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. All right. So, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we we did a series called Ditched, and we looked at different people in Scripture who had felt at one point or another uh, cut off God, or isolated, or forgotten, or alone, or otherwise in despair, and we looked at the way that God moved in each of those people's lives to bring them toward his redemptive purposes, and as we we did that, uh, most of those figures that we studied and looked at in that part of the series were men. And so we've kind of flipped into the Advent season, and it's, it's sort of the same series, but we've titled it Pursued, and we're looking at the women in the lineage of the Messiah and the ways in which God brought them from places of despair to places of hope and promise and an in, in eternal inheritance. And so... Uh, Today, we are taking up the person of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah, and we're looking at the experience that she would have had. We're trying to look at her story from her perspective. We're going to begin with a promise that God gave to her husband, and I'm going to be kind of jumping through the book of Genesis. I'll be in chapter 17, chapter 18, and chapter 21, and I'm going to try to kind of, string together these passages and tell Sarah's story from her perspective, and then we will look at what it means for us. And so as we as we begin, I will be in Genesis chapter 17. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me or in the bulletin insert, uh, or um, yeah, if you're at home, you can use your own Bible, right? Novel concept. Um, but we're going to start with Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to read a few verses, and then um, we'll, we'll keep jumping through this as time allows. From Genesis 17, beginning in verse 4, this is God speaking to Abraham. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So that's one of the seminal points where God gives his promise to Abram and then changes his name to Abraham. That name change goes something like from from dad to patriarch. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, And then we're going to see God do the same thing for Sarai in in a few verses later. I'm going to read that from Genesis, same chapter, Genesis 17, beginning in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And I I should have pointed out when I gave you a little background that Sarah, you'll see this in the text in a minute. She's about 90-something at this point in her life, or 80-something. Abraham's in his 90s. Um, They're getting up there. So this is a little bit of a ridiculous thing that God says to Abraham. And you'll see Abraham in verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The Lord said, I'm going to jump to Genesis 18, verses 10 through 15. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, "'After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?' The Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh and say, "'Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? "'Is anything too hard for the Lord? "'At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, "'and Sarah shall have a son.' "'But Sarah denied it, saying, "'I did not laugh, for she was afraid,' He said, no, but you did. Laugh. And then jumping to Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And then I'm going to just jump to two New Testament passages real quick. We're going to just look at the opening of Matthew's Gospel where he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we'll look at the importance of that in a little while. And then we're also going to look at the importance of of a passage in Romans where Paul is elaborating on the promise of God and what it means. And he says in Romans chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So, how ridiculous of a movement is this from God to say to this couple in their 90s, by the way, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son. Let me try to set the stage. Abraham and Sarah had been through a lot. They had left, or Abraham had left his homeland, uh, somewhere in modern day Iraq, probably, and God told him to go to Palestine, to Canaan, the land of Canaan, and so he did, and he eventually gets married, and then there's famine, and he goes to Egypt in search of food and and then his his situation is such that um, he and his wife don't have any kids and it's very possible that some Egyptian could decide, hey, I'll kill him and add his wife to my harem and we'll be good, right? And so Abraham tells a lie about Sarah being his sister and he does this actually twice, and then years go by and years go by, and Sarah realizes, I'm not going to be able to provide a son for my husband. So Sarah, wise, caring, makes a decision to give her maidservant to her husband as one who could bear him a child and give him a progeny. And so Abraham accepts the deal, at, and it was Sarah's idea. So Sarah goes to basically plan B. Plan, e, plan A was, we're going to get married. I'm going to provide you children. This is going to be a ancient Near Eastern family. Plan B was, well, that didn't work, so what can I do? to give my husband descendants. Because God had promised him that he would have many descendants. And so far, that wasn't working out. So, Sarah's idea comes to pass. Her backup plan is put into action. And a son is born to Abraham. And then, years later, God comes to Abraham and then within earshot of Sarah says, "Sarah will be the mother of many nations," which is the same promise he had given to Abraham. Right, like Abraham was already like he had a son. He had this was possible now. Sarah, at this point, was an outlier. She was sitting on the sidelines of history, watching someone else provide the. Future generations of her husband's family. She was not part of the plan, probably feeling a bit left out, maybe a little jaded about it. The Bible actually goes into some of that, uh, some of her feelings after she sees this maidservant with a son that she had been able to provide for her husband, and just the the natural. Um, jealousy that, that, would, that, would, that would ensue from that situation, um, painful as it all was, God finally, in his timing, shows up and speaks to both of them, and they both have the same reaction, which is exactly the reaction that, that you would have <laughs> at, at that age or any age past a certain point if someone said, yeah, by this time you're ne- next year, you're going to be pregnant, right? Um, it's just like we know that doesn't happen. It's funny. It's, it's uncomfortable to think about. It's weird. It's, it's not normal. And yet that promise came from the mouth of God. And so Abraham and Sarah have to figure out what they're going to do. So I want us to look at some of the changes that take place, some of the contrasts in this passage from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah, from not having a child to having a child, from one kind of laughter to another kind of laughter. I want us to look at those contrasts, those changes, those shifts that occur in this story and I want you to ask yourself this question as we, as we study this passage or these passages. What are the changes that God is making in your own life? What, what have you laughed at as it relates to yourself and God's promises for you? And what has come, to come about in your life that has made you look up and laugh in a very different way? to have joy, to have hope, to have a place. So let's just start working through some of this. And I think the first thing we all need to do as we, as we read these passages about God's promise, which he gives to Abram in the form of a covenant, um, that's just a, it's a Bible word for a, a commitment. So it's, it's a promise that comes with a commitment on God's part to fulfill what he has said. So we, you, me, each of us, we need to hear the promise of God in our own lives. We need to hear God's promise. We need to let his promise change our identity. So this is the the first of those changes that we see in this passage is this change from, for Sarah, this change from from nothing, having no descendants, to everything. This, it's, it's a drastic change that she undergoes. And first, the promise comes to her husband, and his name goes from dad to patriarch, There's th- with a capital P, right? Like, this is the guy. This is where... This is where the lineage of Israel uh, begins, in a, in a way. I'm going to take it back to Adam and Eve, don't get me wrong. Um, but this is a major point in redemptive history. And Abram's identity is changed. God says, you're no longer just dad. You're a patriarch. You're going to be the father of nations, the ancestor of kings and the whole situation goes from a backup plan to an eternal inheritance for both Abraham and Sarah she goes from from watching her husband's lineage develop without her to to being literally the place that the lineage of Christ is born from. And so these changes in identity cannot be overstated, right? This is big stuff. And it's big on a global scale, in the scale of redemptive history, and it's big on Sarah's scale. She is finally included God's plan. We'll talk about that in just a second. So we're to let God's promise change our identity as it takes us from nothing to everything and from sort of a, a backup plan to this eternal inheritance that we are given in Christ. And we're to let it change our trajectory as people. That Sarah goes from dejected to Included from peripheral to integral. She goes from sitting on the sidelines to being the starting quarterback. She gives birth to the lineage of the Messiah. She is the one through whom God's will will be worked. The irony, the great beautiful irony in this story, is that Sarah had given up. She gave up on her capacity, and reasonably so. She gave up on her capacity to provide an heir for Abraham. Okay. No problem. She implements the backup plan. She puts that wheel in motion. And it makes her feel even more sidelined, peripheral, and dejected. Her name change is very subtle in in the actual letters of the Hebrew language. It's a very subtle, and even in the meaning of those words. But I, I think the name change is far more powerful than what just the letters, the rearranging of a couple of letters means in her name. And you see that in the text, where God says, her name, Sarah, shall be her name, I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her, I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Again, same promise he gave to Abraham, but this time, He's saying, uh, here's what I want you to take from the name change. She's going from princess to one who rules, who gives birth to authority, who who is prominent in the lineage of the Messiah, one who will literally give birth to the line that will bring about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so God uses really big language to talk about this really subtle change in in a letter in her name, as if to say, everything is changing. My promise is being fulfilled. You need to hear the promise. You need to be changed at the core of who you are. Your identity and your trajectory are going to change because you are now in God's family Forever, And so, as we hear the promise, so also we must come to terms with the promise. And you see, Abraham and Sarah both have the same response to this crazy promise. This time next year, you will have a son. Sarah will have a son. Ha, 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 um, we all we all have our issues we all have things in our lives that, that seem impossible to change that we have given up on or that maybe we've even gone to a backup plan for we all have to work through our issues the beautiful thing about this story, Sarah does exactly what you and I would do. She messes it up. She blows it. She she gets out ahead of God. Okay, alright. Plan A didn't work. I got this. I'm going to fix God needs my help. I'm going to fix this situation. And then she makes it worse. At least for herself. And We all have these issues that we come to God with. These, what do you want to call them? Doubts? Fears? Both of those are expressed in this passage. We are to give God all of that. And I don't know, your blank may be different than doubts and fears. But we're to give Him our doubts, and we're to give Him our fears. We're to be honest with Him. And I I love... Abraham's response: Yeah, me. A dad. I'm gonna be a hundred, dude. Um, I'm shooting pool with a rope. You think what? What do you? Where? This is impossible. <laughs> so yeah, George Burns quote. Sorry, totally fits. We have to work through our issues. We have doubts we have fears we have the hesitations we have our own ideas of how to fix god's plan we need to learn to trust him we are not the most trusting of people this is true of god's people throughout redemptive history we have to understand this about ourselves we have to trust god in the face of the unlikely we have to trust God in the face of the impossible. And I I say that from these two perspectives. Like Abraham's thinking, yeah, not, not likely. Sarah? She's looking at the situation and thinking, this is impossible. There's just no way. This is not how biology works. And so both Abraham and Sarah are brought through their own humanity to the point of realizing that when God makes his promise, he is faithful. He will fulfill what he says through his word. And so that brings us to this call to live in the hope of the promise. We have to hear it, we have to come to terms with it, and most of the coming to terms with God's promise is on this side it's in here. It's in my heart. It's not that God's promise has issues, it's that I have issues. And so God will work me through that as I mess it up and bring me to a place where I am to live in the hope of that promise. So we are to reflect on the transformation that God has set before us through his promise from completely sidelined to the lineage of redemptive history to matriarch to a name we're still talking about and all of all of her let's just let's just i mean just can you imagine some of you can all of us can The issues that she is coming into this promise with as a woman, all of her sense of inadequacy about her past, about what she's not been able to do, even though it has nothing to do with her character. And she is brought from that place, from a place of of emptiness to a place of fulfillment. She is has gone from a place where she felt like she had no future, where she laughed at the promise of God, to where she names her son Laughter. That's the name God actually gave to Isaac. It means laughter in English. And she now is laughing with joy, the joy of redemption, the joy of hope, the joy of being in the family of God. And can you put the next line up there? I think, yes. This, from emptiness to fulfillment, and then from skepticism to joy. And I I just had a, I copied the wrong thing into my notes. I apologize for the pause. This is where her joy erupts, where she realizes that she was childish to not believe God, childish in a bad way where she realizes God is good, God is faithful, God fulfills his word, and she laughs with joy. So we, too, are to reflect on the ways in which God is working in our own lives to move through the issues that we bring to him and that we bring between us, And to move through that to the place where we find fulfillment and joy in Christ. and As we reflect on that transformation we are to claim our eternal position. I I keep saying this, Sarah now has moved from sidelined, you know, injured reserve to starting whatever sport you want. Right? She's the pivotal player in the history of redemption. The Messiah is coming through her womb into the world. We see this in Matthew 1, 1, where he begins his book by saying, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Knowing that Sarah is the one She is the one who brings forth from her womb this eternal hope that her descendant will not only be the child of Abraham, but that he will also be the child of God. That God's promise to Eve would be fulfilled and continued through Sarah, that her son, would be the continuation of that promise that would lead to the Messiah. I want to read to you again Romans 9, 8 and 9, and I want you to think about this. But the passage just says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh that are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So I think a lot of us think about our relationship with God, and we might ask a question like, how good do I need to be? What do I need to do in order to be in good standing with God? And the answer to that question is actually, it's the wrong question. The, The question is, what has God done to bring me into good standing with himself? And the answer to that question is the Messiah, who came through Sarah and this promise that God gave to her. And what Paul is trying to convey here is not that we need to be good religious people or that it is our genealogy that matters. Uh, He's having a discussion in the book of Romans about what is Israel? What is the people of God? Who are the chosen people of God? And what Paul, the conclusion that Paul is trying to explain here is that the, the chosen children of God, the people of Israel, it's not about genetics. It's not an ethnic group. That's not what this is about. God's promise to Abraham and to Sarah was that all nations ultimately would be blessed through him, that the Messiah would come into this world not for one race or ethnicity of people, but for the whole world, that all kinds of people would come into the hope of the Messiah, that would they would come into the eternal inheritance of being in God's family. So you, as weird as this may sound, you're not a good Christian. You're a complete Jewish person. You're a complete biblical person in Christ. I'll try to explain quickly. Jesus fulfilled the law, he fulfilled all the requirements of the Bible. Everything that's needed to be in good standing with God, he checked the box. And then he offered that life on the cross so that you could be complete. So there's no more boxes you have to check. Nothing. And it is, it is by that faith relationship that you are counted in the inheritance of Sarah. That you are a child of the promise. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what the, the descendant of Sarah, the Messiah, has done for you. And so those children of God are not counted as an ethnic group. They're counted by faith, by those for whom the promise has come to life in their own hearts and souls. And so we are an impossible people. It's just, you know, if we could go back in time to like when I'm in junior high or high school, and you told me, uh, Tom, you're going to be a ordained Presbyterian pastor. I would have laughed, and I probably would have said a few things that shouldn't be said, right? I, I didn't want to be an ordained Presbyterian pastor, and that, was, that wasn't my plan, and I tried my plan. That didn't work out so great. My point is, you and I are the same. The fact that we are here in God's family is in one sense laughable and in another sense joyous. That God has turned that laughter of dissent, of disbelief, into the joy of my salvation. And he does the same thing for each one of us. That his miraculous grace breaks in regardless of how badly we've messed it up. And says, I love you. I redeem you. And I set before you an eternal inheritance in the Messiah. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your promise. We acknowledge that we laugh in the face of your promise at times. And we thank you that through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, you turn that laughter into joy. The joy of knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed, and that we are set in place in your family forever. That we are different, we are transformed in the core of who we are by the truth of your love for us through Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray, amen.